I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. When we talk about that with our kids, it's about holding space. And what I, when I say to clients and intakes and when it comes up is, my job, my number one job is to keep you safe. I'm never going to make a decision without talking to you. When feelings like that come up, it's our job to think about all the options that are presented to us. Everything from, yes, we need to go up to a hospital right now to maybe I need a day off from school, right? And like, you need to trust me as the adult in the room to know what those options are and how to connect you to them. And I need to trust you, my child or children, to tell me what's going on in your, in your mind, but also in your heart. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. And before I get to today's episode, I wanted to share a trigger warning that this episode explores topics that might be difficult to hear about, including suicide and suicidal ideation. I've been wanting to have this conversation with Dr. Matt Zagreski for a long time because I think suicide is a really important topic to demystify and bring to light, especially in the current state of the world. Dr. Matt is a high-energy creative clinical psychologist who utilizes an eclectic approach to meet the needs of his neurodiverse clients. He is a consultant, a professor, and a researcher on giftedness, the co-founder and lead clinician at the Neurodiversity Collective, and is also a member of Supporting the Emotional Needs of the Gifted and the National Association for Gifted Children. I've seen Dr. Matt speak about heavy topics in a way that felt approachable and actionable, so I wanted to share his insights and wisdom for listeners whose child is dealing with heavy feelings or suicidal ideation. During our conversation, we talk about how COVID has impacted the mental health of kids, how to hold space for the difficult conversations surrounding suicide, breaking past the fear of talking about it, and the importance of parents seeking support for themselves too. This is such an important conversation to be having right now. 
If this resonates with you, or you know of communities who would benefit from listening to this honest dialogue about a topic that often goes undiscussed, please share this episode. And also, don't forget to check out the show notes page for more resources. You can find that at tiltparenting.com slash session 271. And now here is my conversation with Matt. Hey, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I am really, I don't know if excited is the right word for the conversation we're about to have, but I feel very drawn to bring this conversation to the podcast. And it's just such an important topic right now more than ever. And I knew you were the person I wanted to bring on the show to talk about this because of your experience. I've seen you speak about lots of complicated, heavy subjects that we're going to get into today. So I've already read your formal bio, but would you spend a few minutes introducing us in your own language, what you do in the world? Sure. Um, So hi, I'm Dr. Matt Zakreski. I'm a clinical psychologist. Uh, Everybody calls me Dr. Matt, so I'll invite you guys to do the same. Um, And I specialize in working with neurodiverse kids and teens specifically gifted, twice exceptional kids on the spectrum. It's something that as, you know, someone who grew up as gifted, I realized sort of in my own educational career that like there's a lot of great resources for kids who are doing, who fit the box of education. And there aren't as many resources for kids who don't. And when I got to graduate school, I thought, this is what I want to do. These are the kids I want to work with and I can help sort of smooth their paths a little bit. And, you know, I try to wear a lot of hats, therapy, intelligence testing, advocacy. I give a lot of talks. I get to do awesome podcasts like Debbie's podcast, which is like, yay for me. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's a short, dense version of what I do. Awesome. And I'm actually curious to know what the past year and a half has been like for you. You know, I have a lot of friends in the mental health field and who work with adolescents and children and... I just know that this has been somewhat of an unprecedented time in terms of the stressors on our kids. So what has your work world been like? Intense would be, a, uh, I think, a pretty fair statement. You know, it's, it's so tough because, you know, psychology isn't really about giving it answers. It's not giving advice. It's very much like reflection and giving space. But I've never felt more drawn over the last year and a half to want to give an answer. Right. I mean, I would love to tell kids, hey, you know, two months and this will be done or here's how we survive this or here's what we do. And and we just don't know. And I think that the strength of our routines, the strengths of our systems, we didn't realize how much we relied on them until they were taken away. And, you know, there's a mourning and a grieving process that comes with that in addition to the abject horror that we've been dealing with. I mean, 600,000 of our citizens have died. It's, I said this in another podcast recently, but our brains are really good at dealing with direct threat, right? If a, if a bear burst into your living room right now, Debbie, you would freak out and you would do something about it. Our brains are not very good at dealing with diffuse horror, right? And a pan, what's more diffuse than an invisible pandemic. So, I mean, it's, it's been tough and, you know, the nice thing, I guess, about how I practice is I don't pretend to have all the answers, right? I don't think that would be fair. It would be disingenuous of me. So if nothing else, 
we have an hour a week to sit in a shared experience and say, this is hard. And we may not have the answers, but we can at least sit together with this and say it's hard together. And I'm wondering in terms of, you know, we are going to be talking about suicide today, suicidal ideation, kind of generally speaking, what's been going on with kids and adolescents. I mean, I've certainly read headlines and read a lot of articles um, about kids who have committed suicide seemingly out of nowhere, you know, with no warnings. But what are you seeing in terms of suicide and kids in this COVID time? One of the things that a lot of cases of suicide end up sort of boiling down to is ruptured connection, right? So I had a job that I loved and I was fired from that job. I was in a relationship that I loved and that relationship was taken from me. I got to go to a school that I loved and I had friends. And when we think about ourselves as social creatures, you know, it makes us more vulnerable to ruptured connection. It becomes a, an idea of trying to seek out those connections in ways that feel helpful and supportive. And, and when we're all so busy and we're all so overwhelmed, it's easy to just say to, to anybody, right, that kids included, you got to deal with it. You got to get over it. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying that like if we don't connect immediately, something bad's going to happen. But what we're saying is that we need to find connection. And when connection's taken from us, right, I'm fond of saying you can't replace something with nothing. If connection's taken from someplace, we have to find connection somewhere else, right? So if your kid can't go to school because of lockdown, well, then can we do you know, an online community? Can we take a class? Can we do video games? Something, right? Connection is what drives us. That's been the biggest logistical, but also the biggest emotional hurdle over the last year and a half. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And especially for our neurodivergent kids who may be more fixed to certain routines and structures and, and also may have more tenuous social connection to start with. You hit the nail on the head, right? The neurodivergent community has two major aspects of it that make them more sensitive to these sort of things, right? You know, more tenuous connections and more adherence to routine. And the last, you know, year and a half has really set those things on their ear. I'm wondering if you could define for us suicidal ideation, because I know that there are probably many listeners who have kids who may say things in passing or during a really bad day, or could you even just kind of explain what suicidal ideation is as a concept? Suicidal ideation is a recurrent thought or desire of, of death. And I'm, I'm intentional with that language of death because not all suicidal ideation is what we would consider active, right? It, a, a lot of times kids will report to me, it would just be easier if I was dead. If I went to sleep tonight and woke up in the morning and didn't wake up in the morning, my life would be better, right? So this is what we call passive suicidal ideation. And then there are people who report like, I drive by a bridge and I think, wouldn't it be great to drive my car off this bridge? The incidence of suicidal ideation is far more prevalent than we understand as broader society, but also with even within the mental health community. A most uh, recent data from 2018 says that 73% of adults report, had reported suicidal ideation in the last six months. And if you just think about those numbers, right, I mean, there's no way that that is the rate of suicide in America. And thank heavens for that, right? I mean, that's 
you know, that would be an entirely different pandemic. But it, what it is, is that these thoughts are normal. They're scary. But what happens is that we don't, people don't have places to put them. They don't have places to share them. So the mental health space becomes a, has sort of become that holding ground for, hey, life is hard. And it is, if you're feeling that overwhelmed, you know, let's, let's make some space for those feelings. Let's talk that out, right? Let's, and we think about kids with their, with their brains that are less mature, right? That they have less infrastructure, they have less control over their own lives. If you and I are having a bad day, I mean, there's nothing stopping us from going to the airport, buying a plane ticket and going to Aruba. You know, an eight-year-old can't do that. So we need to think about what are the supports and how do we give efficacy and independence to kids to gain some control over their own lives. A couple things came up as you were answering that. One is even you mentioned an eight-year-old. And so even before we go further, can we talk about the ages um, of what we're seeing in, in kids? Because I think there's this idea that this is a teen thing, but um, I don't know that that's the case. So what we're going to talk about is in terms of sort of, sort of tiers of this. So one of the things that kids and people sort of in general, but we'll focus on kids do is they use what we call replacement language. So the classic example of this is you have two siblings, they're fighting and sibling A says to sibling B, I'll kill you. Right now I have two younger sisters. I've certainly said that to them on occasion. Uh, We're all in our thirties now. So not recently so much, but you know, uh, but I tell you, if they took my Legos one more time, (laughs) Um, but so if we responded to the content of that, you know, I mean, there'd be far more police calls, far, far more 911 calls. So it is not uncommon to hear kids and teens say stuff like kill yourself or I wish I was dead. Right now, it's important as adults who care about kids. And this is parents, mental health professionals, teachers, coaches, da, 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 da. We respond to the content. We also respond to the process, right? When is this coming up? Does your kid say, I wish I was dead every time they have a spelling test, right? Context matters a lot. How does that sentence make us feel, right? Is it sort of, does it land to us as like, my kid is blowing off steam or does, or does a chill go up your spine? Trusting our intuition when it comes to responding to this language is really important. And then lastly, talking about what we call, uh, what I call in psychology, the big three, frequency, intensity, and duration, right? How often is this stuff being said? How intense is the language? And then how long do these feelings last? You know, if, if Sally has a shot to score the winning goal in soccer and she hits the ball over the crossbar, and then after the game she says, I wish I was dead, I'm not saying that doesn't hurt, because obviously I played soccer for 15 years. I have missed many, 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 many shots. So we take those feelings seriously, but we try to put them in context. But if Sally, six months from now, is still saying, I wish I was dead, my life is terrible, I ha- there's nothing to live for, we're ringing some serious alarm bells, because... The, the idea of frequency, intensity, and duration really matter because the way we respond to our environment is a lasting effect over time. I love that you talked about trusting intuition. And I also know that so many parents have a lot of fear around this. I mean, this is every parent's worst nightmare. So what role does a parent's fear play into this? And 
I don't know if you have thoughts on how parents can kind of notice that as well. The big thing when it with parents is is creating that space for open and honest communication. Everything, at least in my perspective, right, everything comes back down to communication. How often we talk, how well we talk, the things we can talk about, right? This is a problem within the mental health community as well. Many practitioners, because of insurance regulations and the threat of lawsuit, if they hear the word suicide, they call 911. They, you know, they will involuntarily commit someone. And it's, it's far more nuanced than that. I had a kid once in an intake say, I'm not going to answer your question about suicide because you're going to send me to the hospital. And this, it's an interesting moment, right? Because it's a challenge, but it's also a please help me, right? I'm telling you I have a feeling. I'm also telling you that I'm smart enough to know the rules. When we talk about that with our kids, it's about holding space. And what I, when I say to clients and intakes and when it comes up is my job, my number one job is to keep you safe. I'm never going to make a decision without talking to you. When feelings like that come up, it's our job to think about all the options that are presented to us. Everything from, yes, we need to go up to a hospital right now to maybe I need a day off from school, right? And like, you need to trust me as the adult in the room to know what those options are and how to connect you to them. And I need to trust you, my child or children, to tell me what's going on in your, in your mind, but also in your heart. And because I can't know that, right? We're not mind readers. We're, we're very good at what we do, but we're not mind readers. Having that space to our kids and saying like, whatever comes up in this space, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I'm saying that if you tell me, we will sit with it and until we can find someone who can get us the answers we need. And that's a very powerful thing for your kids to know they have a person or people to talk to. Yeah, I think a lot of parents are afraid to use the language. Like they are afraid when talking with the child who may be feeling down or express that they're depressed, but may not have explicitly used that word or, or said that kind of language. I know there are parents who are, don't want to suggest something that then their child might want to do. So can you talk about language, how we can speak about this if it's something we're concerned about and maybe bust the myth that us using that language is somehow going to result in that? Yes, let, let's bust that myth, right? So parents, if you take nothing else away from this conversation, please know that that no one has ever placed the idea of suicide in somebody else's head. That has never happened, right? And your kids have certainly thought about it. They've certainly read about it if, if they're showing those markers, right? So asking that question, it's a, it's a release valve, not lighting a fuse. And it's so important to to understand that. And listen, I'm not going to say these are easy conversations because they're not. I do this for a living. I've been doing this for what, it's 2021, we have 15 years now. And, you know, I mean, they're still hard conversations. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, sobbed after a session like that. But I tell my kids, I would rather have a hard conversation than wish I had, Right. One of the things I like to do a lot, and I think parents, this is a good technique, is using what we call meta communication, right? Talking about talking. So if this, if if you're worried about your kid, and you're you're listening to this podcast, and you're trying to gear yourself up for this kind of conversation, one of the things you can say is, "Hey, listen, I need to have a hard conversation with you. I'm scared. 
right? I'm worried about this. This is perhaps outside of my skill set or comfort zone, but I want you to know that because this conversation is so important, that's why I'm still having it with you. What that does is it builds a box around the thing we're saying, as opposed to you just sort of kicking in the door to your kid's room and be like, how are you okay? Right? Because when, when we don't give our kids context, they respond defensively, they, they shut down. Let's not try to have the perfect conversation, big air quotes. Let's, you know, it can be messy, it can be sloppy, but there's an authenticity to that, that our kids really respond to. I, I will often say to kids in session, this is hard. I'm worried for you. I'm scared for you. I, I can see how much pain you're in. And we're going to figure this out together. Let's not be afraid to get our hands dirty when it comes to these kind of conversations. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. And do you have any 
guidance for even, you know, finding the words to use. And, um, you know, again, this is outside of so many parents' comfort zones. They may get freaked out by what they hear. They may not know how to respond. We talk a lot about just validating and listening. Um, They may worry about doing that too much that it's going. So I don't know. And how do we kind of navigate that? And and are, are there places you can steer parents to to learn more about that? One of the things that we can do is acknowledge where our own comfort and skill levels end. If you have this conversation with your children and they are revealing things as suicidal ideation, deep levels of depression, and you're realizing very quickly, like, okay, so it's great that we're having this conversation because it's way more important that we're talking about it than if we're not talking about it. So as long as we're talking, as long as we're engaging, we're okay. So this is where we talk about resources like the National Suicide Hotline. This is where we talk about mobile crisis. You know, most counties in the United States operate a mobile crisis unit that will come to your house and do an assessment. You know, and this isn't the proverbial guys in white coats, right? This is trained social workers who are are here to determine if you're safe. Another thing is it's not inappropriate to pull up this podcast, right? To pull up a TED Talk on there's many TED Talks on suicide. Because we've established that you're not going to put the idea in your kid's head, but what you're doing is you're engaging with media that's that lays it out in ways that perhaps we don't have, right? And we say like, here are the resources that are available to us. You know, I'm I'm checking myself. I know where I'm at, where my skill level is, and I think this problem is bigger than my skill level. So I'm going to bring in someone who can help me, right? And to tell your kids like that's not because you're broken. It's not because I'm, I can't handle you. It's because this is a problem that is so important that I'm going to call all the people, all the Avengers, right. To, to my team here, because I'd rather have too many people here than not enough. That kind of humility, that kind of acknowledgement that there's a thing we can't do for our kids is really scary. I was having a conversation like this a couple months ago with a, a parent who is a pretty big deal heart surgeon. And she was saying that um, her child is, you know, has been doing back and forth on suicidal ideation for a while. And it, it bothers her to no end that she can't fix it. You know, she really dragged her feet on getting her therapy. And I pointed out that like, if I had a problem with my kid's heart, I would call her, right? I mean, like, you're the person I'm going to call for this. And it's okay to have a specialist outside of your, your own skill set for a big problem. You know, I, I wouldn't know at all how to fix a broken leg. I wouldn't know how at all to fix an arrhythmia. But if your kid has suicidal thoughts, you know, I'm a person you could talk to. Debbie, having listened to many of these episodes, over, anyway, I know one of the themes is that parents can't be all things to everybody all the time. Right. And so part of that is saying I can have so I can have a, a percentage of this conversation and then then do a warm handoff, pass the baton to somebody else who can take it the rest of the way. Yeah, I love that. I do want to talk about kids who move beyond suicidal ideation. That The event um, that we were discussing before I hit record, you did, I think, was with the New Jersey Gifted Association. And you had some young adults on who had previously attempted suicide, and they shared their stories so vulnerably 
And what a gift for all the listeners to, to get a glimpse inside their thinking. Um, and really surprising to me what I learned from listening to them. So can you talk a little bit about some of the reasons why kids move past ideation to an attempt? So, and there are, of course, there's no one size fits all, right? But one of the things that we talk about a lot in these in these moments is the problem is is either not getting better or it's escalated in some way. Oftentimes, uh, when we hear about suicides in relation to bullying in school, you know, kid X is teased and mocked, right? And it sort of hit a, hit a baseline that is very unpleasant, and that baseline has led to depression, and anxiety, and then something happens to ramp it up a notch, right? And that's where we see kids move from ideation to attempt, right? Big life changes are often also a triggering moment, right? Divorce, moving, uh, changing schools, especially if you're changing schools for a reason that was maybe not your choice. And it's the sort of thing that the more we know about these things that serve as triggers and context around the escalation of suicidality, it enables us as parents and caregivers to be a little bit more proactive and not say, hey, when we change schools, you might want to die. But you can say things like, this is going to be really hard. And I want to check in with you and keep checking in with you about your thoughts and feelings and know that no matter how hard this gets, we'll get through it together. And really sort of putting that those ideas out there that acknowledging that this is hard because so many kids report in suicide notes or, you know, if they survive an attempt and they say, I felt like I had to handle it on my own. I felt like I was alone. I felt, remember we came back before the ruptured connection, right? So building a line, building a, a framework to someone to talk to and saying that this isn't contingent, right? This is, I'm here for you if we're eating chicken nuggets and watching America's Got Talent. And I'm here for you if you're saying that you have been really thinking about ending your life because that is that is a universal thing, right? I am here for you regardless, and it's hard. It's hard to show up like that. One other thing when it comes to an escalation of suicidality is the re- broader research shows that sometimes kids will make one attempt towards connection, right? They'll reach out to a counselor. They'll reach out to a friend. They'll reach out to sometimes a parent, sometimes teacher. And looking back, right, when we do the sort of the postmortem, people say, oh, gosh, that was their, that was their attempt to, to reach out and build connection. And I don't share this with, with this audience to scare anybody. Like, you know, if we don't respond to everything all the time, what are we missing? Our lives are hard enough as it is. The idea here is we take every opportunity to connect when we can. And we say, hey, these are things that are hard. These are things that are scary. And don't be afraid to say to your kid, you look overwhelmed. You look wrung out. You look tired and scared and and sad you don't feel like yourself because once again we're not putting those ideas in their head those ideas are already there you know so it it might just be the key that unlocks the door it is better to ask the question than not ask it the word hopelessness popped up in my mind and because i know that you know that is something obviously if you feel hopeless, that is going to be creating the foundation or, or, or reason for you to 
to do an attempt or to be thinking about this. And I, I just wonder in these times, this is an intense time in the world. I mean, just feels like one continuous, you know, you know what show we don't swear on this podcast, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just wondering, how do we hold this space for that? How do we acknowledge what's hard while not contributing to this sense of hopelessness? Yeah. Well, if we, if we solve this, you and I will write a best-selling book and tour the world. The research on this, it comes back to three words. You mentioned hopelessness. The other two are helplessness and worthlessness. So there is no hope. No one can help me. And I'm not worth saving in the first place. A lot of times, you know, as, as a way to normalize these conversations, as a way to have these hard conversations, I often will check in with kids in therapy, say like, okay, hopelessness scale, one to 10. If 10 the most hopeless, where are you? I'm at an eight. Okay. You're at an eight today. All right. You know, helpless. Oh, I'm at a 10 today on helpless. I'm, I'm totally feeling helpless today. Right. So we just, it's those markers. It's a check-in. Right. And then and a fun technique, well, fun is probably the wrong word. Uh, a good technique to use is, is to say to a kid, like if they're at a 10, a eight on this, on the hopelessness scale, right. Our instinct as parents is to say things like, okay, well, like, you know, well, well, how can we get you out of seven? How can we get you out of five? Like, how we can move you down? But often that actually can make kids think about the reasons why they feel worse. So it can be helpful to say, okay, you're an eight. So what? Why aren't you at a nine? Why aren't you at a ten? Right? What's keeping you in the eight zone? And we call this defending the negative. Right? The idea here is that it forces people to think about the reasons why they're not more suicidal. And that's, it's kind of a paradoxical approach to it. But the idea here is that can be something that might stoke whatever embers are in there and say like, oh, well, I feel pretty hopeless. But, you know, I mean, I did have a really good game of uh, Roblox today. Oh, tell me about the game of Roblox. Right. And then now we're talking about this, right? We keep those, the scales of hopeless, helpless, and worthless in our minds. And, you know, and we have those kind of hard conversations. Yeah, I love that defending the negative. I've never heard of that before. And it just makes so much sense. It's a way of reframing. Super interesting. I want to kind of wrap up and I'm sure there are a lot of things that I should have asked that I haven't. But I guess I just would love to hear for parents who are concerned about their kids. I mean, you mentioned some good resources, but, you know, in this moment, like right after they're done listening to this and um, what do you want to make sure that they, they feel empowered to do or that they, they hold on to as they navigate this journey? The, I love the idea of empowering because this is such a it, disempowering process, right? I mean, so the first thing is we're going to say you didn't fail your kid. And I'm going to actually say that again, because I think it's really important. Suicidal ideation does not mean you failed your child. All that means is that life is hard and life feels harder than the kids can handle right now. And sometimes that's because the feelings are bigger than they can cope with. We see this a lot in our neurodivergent kids, right? You know, a nine-year-old who is catastrophically afraid of global warming. I mean, aren't we all? But those are bigger feelings than a nine-year-old can handle. And sometimes those feelings are, are very personal, right? I mean, issues of abuse, issues of bullying, um, issues of sexual assault. I mean, those are, those are very personal. They're very immediate, right? And we as parents tend to center ourselves in our kids' pain. We tend to say like, if I had, or if I hadn't, 
right? And that kind of future telling only hurts us and it lowers our ability to help our kids. Well, the friends, the classic example, right, is if you put your kid in the car and drive them to school this morning and you get rear-ended by a bus, it's easy to say, well, I shouldn't have driven my kid to school today. Why? Like, ha- like obviously, if you had known you were going to get hit by a bus, you wouldn't have driven that way. But who, what reasonable person would have made that that connection, right? That's not that's not possible. You know, I shouldn't have sent them to this school. I shouldn't have had them do scouts. I shouldn't have had them X, Y, Z. Should is a word that gives us shame and pain for the things we didn't do, right? I would say could. Could is a better word than should. We could have sent our kids to another school. We could have gotten mental health support sooner. But when you when you have the word should, you're beating yourself up for things that didn't happen for whatever reason. You could have had good intentions or bad intentions. It doesn't really matter, honestly. I think that for for so many of us, you know, we center ourselves, we blame ourselves, we beat ourselves up. And listen, we're human beings. There's always going to be that pain that comes. But if you if you say that right now my kid is saying that they need me and the kid is saying that they need me in a very overt way, that's what's most important right now. They'll they'll come time to rake ourselves over the coals and you know, we certainly will. But the idea here is that the emergence of any mental health problem from ADHD to autism to suicidal ideation is about the child and their fit with their environment is not necessarily our fault as parents. So we need to step out of our own heads and into the space where our kids need us to be. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. 
I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. I really appreciate that reminder. And I'm wondering if we can just take it one step further, just for parents who have kids who are dealing with this may feel themselves, you know, hopeless and helpless and and unworthy. And I don't know if your work involves supporting parents as well, but how can parents take care of themselves if they're parenting a suicidal teenager or a child? Some of it is the old line that, you know, we should all meditate five minutes a day unless we're too busy, then we should meditate for an hour. Right. So you may feel like I don't possibly, possibly have time to see my own therapist or go to a support group. Make time. It's watch one fewer episode of Netflix, go to bed in a half hour later, whatever that thing might be. But it is it is not just beneficial, it is vital. We cannot pour from an empty cup. And what ends up happening is that you may find through your own support, A problems that you have with yourself that that may are sapping your ability to show up and respond but also you may find tips and techniques that that help out when you're getting that extra sense of support you know it might be something as a as a as a phrase right a key phrase that you hadn't heard before or maybe it's the empowerment to hey if you have this hard conversation it goes terribly you know your therapist says call me right and then we'll we'll process it together you're not alone you know and there are so many support groups out there for parents of suicidal kids, teens, parents of neurodivergent teens, that stuff is out there. And it, and it is not inappropriate to ask your kid's therapist for, for a session to do feedback, right? To, to voice your concerns, right? So I would encourage you to, to ask for those things. And, you know, and then um, we have, you know, I have this, this resource that we created for the New Jersey Gifted Association talk, that I will happily share with you, Debbie, so we can share it to the listeners, so we can get those word, those resources and words out there. Because you know, we I want you to have something tangible for this. This is a this is a big deal, right? The idea here is that you have to do something to support yourself, and it is okay to want that, and it's okay to need that. If those feelings come up, and you have that resultant guilt, like how dare I get my nails done today because my kid is in the hospital? Well. If getting your nails done brings some joy to your your soul, we should always be seeking joy, right? And I think that's a it's a good thing to remind ourselves. Thank you. That is so helpful. So before we say goodbye, 
I would love if you could share where listeners can learn more about you and reach out to you if they want to. I'm not sure if you're on social media, but you, if you are, please let us know where. And then if there if there is anything that we didn't touch upon today that you want to make sure is said. I'm on social media. Facebook is facebook.com slash Dr. Matt Sikreski. Um, and then my website is drmattsikreski.com. The thing that when I think about connection, right, around these these sort of things is reach out to me and let's let's book a talk. Let's book a you know a community meeting. Let's get some people involved, right? Because suicide in particular within the mental health world grows in silence, right? I mean this it's become such a stigmatized thing that we can't talk about it so we don't talk about it, but then there there comes those ruptured connections again, right? So when we normalize these conversations, when we bring this stuff out there, you know, we did a, a blind poll in the New Jersey Gifted thing, and, um, and over 80% of, of the respondents in our talk had, had said that they had, they had been personally touched by suicide in their lives. And we, you know, we left it a, a little vague, a little open-ended, but I mean, that's a super high number. I think that having these conversations, listening to these podcasts, right, allows us to to bring this pain out of the darkness. And when things come out of the darkness, we have the space and time to, to heal them. You know, hopefully listening to this is the first step in your own journey to seeking help for yourself, seeking help for your kids. And, and I honor that. And I applaud you because this is not easy. And I cannot tell you how brave you are for even taking this step. So bravo you. Thank you. What a lovely note to end this on. Thank you so much. Such a important conversation, powerful conversation. And I just so appreciate everything that you shared with us today. I, like I said, I appreciate the platform. I mean, this is, you and I took a step today towards bringing it out of the darkness as well. I mean, like, how could you imagine that this is even a thing that we could talk about? But here we are 40 some odd minutes in and we're still rocking and rolling. So thank you, Debbie, for bringing me in and bringing this to your incredible listeners. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to dig deeper into this episode, check out the show notes page. Every episode has a dedicated show notes page on my website where you can get links to all the resources we discussed, read a transcript, and even easily go back and listen to key takeaways by using the chapters feature on the podcast player. To get to the show notes page for this episode, just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this show. If you love this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. For as little as $2 a month, you can help cover the cost of the hosting platform for the show, my wonderful new editor and producer, Andrea, and more. It's so easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. If you're into social media, you can follow Tilt Parenting at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter. Visit the Tilt Parenting page on Facebook or join my Facebook community called Tilt Together. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by subscribing and leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information, visit www.tiltparenting.com.
Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.